the root problem of income inequality should be like near the top of our priority list. And generally speaking, it's not. I mean, it gets talked about a lot, but like, I think if we could actually address that, a lot of this other shit would take care of itself. What's up, damn givers? Welcome to Let's Give a Damn, a podcast about people who give a damn, by people who give a damn, and for people who give a damn. I'm so glad you're here. I just made a quick list in my head, and there are 1,647,923 other things you could be doing right now, but you chose to be here learning, growing, and having some fun alongside my guests and me. So thank you so much for listening in. This week on the show, I chat with Trey Crowder, a.k.a. the liberal redneck. Trey hails from Salina, Tennessee, population 1500. Warning right here at the onset, there is more cursing than usual in this interview. I sort of like to curse, but Trey really likes to curse. So if you don't like cursing or can't handle a ton of cursing, this might be a good one to skip. Or maybe just don't listen to it in the car with your kids on the way to soccer practice. Anyway, just wanted to give you a heads up because I love you. Trey has been doing comedy for quite some time, but his career skyrocketed a couple of years ago after he posted some videos that went viral, especially this video that he made about North Carolina's HB2 bill. You might remember it. Here's a little snippet of it. What do you think is going to happen? You do know that transgender people have existed forever, right? What bathrooms do you think they've been using? And how many times you ever hear about what you're worried about happening, happening? Hardly not, never. Because even people that are child molesters are not going to prey on a kid in broad daylight, in public, especially not with their mouth-breathing troglodyte daddy 12 feet outside the door just dying to punch something different. It don't make no sense. And what about little boys? The vast majority of people that prey on little boys are adult males. This law don't affect them one way or the other. So unless you're also suggesting that we have separate bathrooms for Catholic priests, I think you need to cut the shit. When I saw that video back in 2016, I really appreciated his creative blend of comedy and talking about important issues. Important societal and political issues have always been addressed in comedy, and Trey, in my opinion, is doing a great job at that. In this conversation, Trey and I talk about how there are more liberals in the South than you might imagine, what it looks like to work for the U.S. Department of Energy right before doing comedy full-time, what liberals get right and what they get wrong, and so much more. It was an absolute pleasure to meet and hang with Trey for a bit. I hope you'll follow him on the socials and maybe even show up for one of his live shows as a result of listening to our chat today. Also, the most L.A. thing ever happened while we recorded our conversation. We were at some studio in Burbank, and when we finished, the guy that runs the studio walked in and mentioned that Weird Al, yes, that Weird Al, was recording a podcast in the next studio over. I just thought that was funny. I thought it was a very LA thing to happen, and I thought it was something that I should mention to you today. Another quick reminder that this conversation contains much more cursing than usual. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the liberal redneck himself, Trey Crowder. Trey Crowder, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm super excited. Before we get into um, your comedy and your career, and so the, even the way that I first was introduced to you, before we turn the mics on, we were talking about your roots and where you came from. So uh -huh. let's start there, because we're in LA right now, yeah. and you live here now, and we'll come full circle to that. But you did not grow up here. No. Um, you're in entertainment, 
And uh, that seems like that'll be your trajectory for a while, but you grew up where? It's called Salina, Tennessee. It's uh, middle of nowhere. It's about halfway between Nashville and Knoxville and then north 40 miles. So if you take I-40 towards Knoxville from Nashville, about halfway there, get off the interstate and go straight north toward Kentucky and you'll uh, hit Salina, Tennessee, where I grew up. And there's nothing out there. Nothing. There's at all. nothing out there. We- it's extremely rural. I, it's fun. I, I've my whole life, and I still will. Sometimes I'll meet people from like small towns and stuff. I've gotten into so many like small. My hometown is smaller than yours. Like pissing contests. <laughs> and what it normally hinges on for me is I find a lot of times people that make that argument with me. They're from a town where it's tiny, but very nearby in the same county they're at is a bigger town that has Walmarts and all this stuff. And or that's whatever. where they go do all their stuff. And But Salina's the biggest town in Clay County. Like, we had no bigger town. The bigger town was 50 miles away. I mean, it's there's no traffic lights in the whole county. There's no McDonald's or Walmarts or any. I mean, it's rural, middle of nowhere, nothing. I graduated high school with, like, 67 people and that was far and away the biggest class that school system had ever had normally it's like 40s something like that every the, year the 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 world wide web says that salina has fewer than 1500 people is that still definitely the case yeah i'd say it's less than that honestly but i mean yeah easily that's true i grew up in guatemala uh we're at 2.7 million people so a few more than yeah. salina are there any pros to growing up in a place like that or is it all see in my mind like i'm a i'm a city boy i cannot mm-hmm. be i cannot even imagine living in a place like that but yet right. so many americans and not just americans so many people all over the world do are there any pros to uh, living in a place like that normally what i tell people about clay county in particular is the one thing the one thing about it that is unassailable in my opinion is there's a a really really nice lake there called Dale Hollow Lake and like so I was like a lake kid grew up like on the water fishing and swimming a lot and stuff like summers there cool like actually I talk shit about my hometown a lot it comes from a place of love I wouldn't go back there that much but like even living out here now I still every summer I go back to Dale Hollow Lake mm. I'm going Memorial Day weekend this nice. year and I all my buddies I grew up with we all go on a, go out on the lake together and all that so like the outdoorsy part of it, if you're like an outdoorsman at all, which I'm not outside of lake type stuff, all that is great. Also, living in L.A., going back home, I'm reminded of things like the air and like the stars in the sky. Like the star, it, that shit will blow my mind now. Going back home and yeah. and like how beautiful the night sky is what you know out here in LA you know it's the irony of LA it's supposed to be the city of stars but there's not a goddamn star in the the sky you know it's weird but that type of stuff is nice but I didn't appreciate none of that shit growing up there I just wanted to fucking leave yeah up there so (laughs) yeah so let's let's talk about you you know wanting to leave because you a couple things that I noted um just doing a little research on you on, on on the webs was that you First family member to go to college, yeah, but all definitely to get an MBA, yes. right? Yeah, so that, both. So, yeah. so you left and sort of did something that no well, one. Why don't else I had go done. to college? I probably had a couple family members that or, I was the first one to finish. finish. I was the first one uh, to yep, graduate college. Yeah. So graduate and they get an MBA. Yeah, and then you went to work for the government for a while. The U.S. Department of Energy. Yeah, that wasn't planned. That was just. Yeah, how did that? happen? I graduated business school in two thousand nine, which was a great time to be graduating yeah, business yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, things were looking up. Yeah, and I went on so many interviews for like what 
were basically scam jobs. You know what I mean? Like MLM type stuff or yep. just like bullshit sales jobs that yep. they didn't advertise as that. And then you get there and show up and you realize what it, and it was so fucking discouraging. I've been on a couple of those. And I, I worked in a, the bar I worked at while I was in college, I worked at for six months with an MBA before I just happened to land a job with the U.S. Department of Energy at the Oak Ridge side office in East Tennessee. Also a coincidence. Wasn't that far away from me, but it could have been the one in Ames, Iowa or whatever, and I still would have went when I got the job. It just happened to be not that far away from me. But, yeah, I didn't plan that. I just sort of fell into that, and then I got to Knoxville, and that's where I started doing stand-up at. Did you leave your government job for stand-up, or was there another reason? Was there something else that— No, I left it to go full-time. To go full-time. Comedy. I did— I worked that job and like moonlighted as a comedian uh, for like six years, and then because that, those videos going viral and stuff, I was able to go full time into this, and that's why I left that job. Do you think it would have if the videos had not gone viral? Would like well, what I was? How were you feeling about your career at the time? Honestly, not that bad for where I was at because like I'd gotten. And it's like there's two schools of thought in comedy, but so like when I was first starting and I was emceeing at Sidesplitters Comedy Club in Knoxville or at other or Comedy Catch in Chattanooga or whatever, I would talk to headliners that would come through. And most of the advice that I got from people was like, it takes a long time to get really good at this. And in my, you know, in my opinion, you, they would say to me, yep. should get good here before you worry about moving. So I was like, I've been doing it like five going on six years and was feeling pretty good about it and was actively looking for jobs in LA. I was submitting writing packets for like TV writing jobs and stuff, but I was also looking for jobs in like the business world, like my day job world, just whatever I could get to where I could afford to live here. I was already in the process of doing that and wasn't having very much luck, but I was trying to move out here already when they went viral and I uh, quit the job, but I was like featuring at clubs, headlining like bar shows and that type of thing. I had a manager already. Uh, I had been to this NBC writers workshop that's very competitive. They have every year. I'd gotten into that and done that. And through that, I was submitting stuff for TV jobs and that type of thing all from Knoxville. So I like, you know, I felt pretty good about it, but I knew I had to get out here and that's what i was trying to do when everything blew up and went crazy which also is obviously what allowed me ultimately to move out here yeah so the liberal redneck that's yeah. what you're known as and those two words uh are not typically put next to each other Correct. unless there's some <laughs> anger and you know some right. sort of shit around it but not in not in a good way uh -uh. so how did that sort of come together why liberal redneck why was that something that you wanted to you know, put together as a brand. What was behind that be that becoming who you are? One of my first stand-up bits that I was like proud of or that almost always worked or whatever was this bit that I would do. And it's it's just it's what the videos are. But I would set it up by talking about how People, even in the South, people hear my accent because it's a thick one and they think that I'm a dumbass racist, whatever. And I understand why. It's because anytime you ever hear, see this accent portrayed, it's always the same Bible thumping troglodyte, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yep. So I get it, but I need to combat this. And all I know to do is I'm just going to go out there publicly and be just as loud and crazy and redneck as they are, but I'm going to, you know, get my beliefs out there instead. I'm just going to be super liberal to balance the scales. And then I would do a bunch of 
liberal redneck examples of things. You know what I mean? My other truck's a Prius, that type of shit, you know? Yeah. Yep. And that was, I did that on stage for a while. And it was like, like I said, it was like probably the first bit I wrote that I was proud of. And in that bit, I never said the words liberal redneck, but if I was writing up a set list for a stand up show that I was doing, the title of that bit was liberal redneck. Like that's what I called it. Um, so in my mind, that was the liberal redneck bit, even mm-hmm. though I never said those words in there. Mm-hmm. And my close friends in comedy, they knew that, you know, like we would talk about it. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, hey, guys, you know that liberal redneck bit that I do? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, I've, th- I've been thinking about making like a video series based around that idea. And every one of them always, all my comedy friends would be like, yeah, that's a good idea. You should totally do that. <laughs> but like, I didn't for like two years because in mm. my mind, I was like, I need to save up money and buy a nice camera. I need to learn some editing software. You know, I don't want to look like an amateur. It seemed like a barrier to entry for whatever reason. I don't know if I was just making excuses or what. And then what changed that was I saw this video one day in April 2016, and it had 15 million views and it was all like far people on the far right and it was just a video of some preacher in north carolina out in the woods preaching fire and brimstone about the evils of transgender people and jesus smiting them all and all this type of crazy shit not a dick joke in sight what nothing funny about it mm-hmm. it's just a preacher preaching shit in the woods standing by a truck just yelling at his phone and had 15 million views and i saw that and genuinely it's like a light bulb went off i was like man if if this motherfucker if this is what i'm making what i want to make fun of then i don't need any of that fancy shit in fact that would that would be a mistake like the way to do it is to do it exactly the way they do it yeah but i can go out back and yell at my phone (laughs) and so once i had that realization I made the first one like less than a week later and it got like 30,000 views, which is very encouraging. So I made the second one and the second one was about the transgender bathroom laws in North Carolina. And that one ended up getting like almost 30 million views on Facebook or something like that. Yeah. And that, that's, and that's sort of that, where it took and that's off when it, yeah. Yeah. So before we get to the HB2 video, cause that's where I was first introduced to you. What I'm interested in is when did you become you had to be the only or one of the only liberal people in Salina. Ten- like, how how did that happen? Who? Well, what were your influences honestly, to become that way? Okay, to start at the end of the question, my two number one influences were my dad and my uncle. My dad mostly raised me. Him and my mom divorced when I was seven. My mom has struggled with opioid addiction like a lot of people from where I'm from for a lot of her life. She wasn't around a lot when I was a kid. My dad mostly raised me. He has one brother, my Uncle Tim, and my Uncle Tim is gay and openly gay, and they were very close. They've been very close my whole life. Also from Salina? Yes. And my uncle, he didn't live that. He lived in Nashville when I was a kid. He lives in Salina now and has for years because he, uh, my Mima, his mama, is, you know, in her 80s, and Uncle Tim lives there because my dad passed away a few years ago. Mm. Uncle Tim lives there and takes care of Mima, but... So my dad explained this all to me when I was like nine or 10. But before that, I had, there was Uncle Tim and Uncle Mike, you know, his life partner. And they were at every Thanksgiving and every Christmas and whatever, as long as I can remember. I mean, like since I was a baby, they were around. And 
I never thought anything of it. And when I was like nine or 10, my dad explained to me, he's like, okay, so you, cause he knew that it was, I was, it was going to start coming up like in school and shit. And mm-hmm. he was like, you know, your uncle Tim is gay. And then he explained what gay means. And he's like, and some people don't like that, but fuck those people, you know, basically. And, and I was just like, okay, whatever, you know, I didn't, affect me at all because that's how kids are for the most part you know they have to be told to hate somebody hate and discriminate and yeah right and i've loved my uncle so much and still do so yeah, i was just so like, i was, I was just like okay that's it didn't change anything for me but i was still going to church some at that time with like aunts and uncles and stuff on my mom's side of the family because my dad didn't fuck with the church at all i'm assuming because he has a gay brother but I was still going to church some because every kid around there did. And after that conversation, I started picking up on shit at church about homosexuals and all this. And I pretty immediately was like, okay, well, I'm done with this then. And I told my dad and he was like, yeah, that's fine. So I quit going to church when I was probably 10 or 11. And those two things, having a gay uncle and not growing up in the church like so many people around there did are the main two things that I uh, attribute my like – liberalism too but i will say the guys i'm still good friends with back home now that i grew up with because i I guess we weren't on the mics yet i don't think but i told you every summer i go back to my hometown on the lake and i do that with like my buddies that i grew up with like i still am in contact with a good chunk of them the ones that i'm still tight with now except for like one or two of them and those one or two guys they're cool but the rest of them are also liberals like we're all on the same page and there's about i don't know there's about eight of us but like i said in classes of 40 something that's really not that bad we didn't talk about politics though growing up sure but still most of my good friends from back home that i'm still good friends with are on the same page as me with a lot of this shit uh, believe it or not it's not as rare as people think it is don't yeah. don't get me wrong it's still very right. much in the minority but not as much as people think so i first was introduced to you because of your 2016 hb2 video right that i don't know how it came across probably because people were yeah. sharing it but i saw it and i was like holy shit like the whole thing the cell phone video your thick accent i had no idea that it was part persona like it is you but you it's just me cranked you, yeah up, you, you, you put the accent right. on and, and I, I was just like everything about it took me by surprise the irony of us or i don't know if irony is the right word but the funny thing about us talking about this today is that trump's uh military trans ban goes into effect today okay so almost fourteen thousand trans people in our military are set to lose their jobs that's um, actually going to happen? I thought that was being like, I had surgery last week. I've been sort of out, out of it the past few days, but I didn't realize that was like going into effect and well, was going to actually like happen. Because I remember when he that came up, it seemed to right. come up basically out of nowhere. And it I felt like at the time it was one of those things that he just did that wouldn't ever really amount to anything. I didn't realize it was like happening, happening today. That's a huge bummer. It looks... Well, I mean, I could, let's see. Um, no, 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 I'm sure you're right. It's like I said, I've been I've been laid up at the house. Yeah, nearly 13,700 trans service members are expected to lose their careers as the ban begins to take effect today, including, so I don't know how, I don't know what the rollout is, but the, you know, and I'll, I'll have to look into it more. I was actually sitting out here listening to, uh, funny enough, Animal Farm by George Orwell, mm-hmm. which is, you know, 
I think I was doing that subconsciously in preparation for this conversation. Right. But um, I was, you know, I just checked on Twitter and I was like, holy shit. Like, um, so I'll have to look into it more. But either way, that's, that was the first time. And I, I, you don't know this about me because we don't know each other, but I'm, I'm a Christian and still am today for some of the same reasons that like, you know, it was funny the way you, you referred to yourself as becoming the liberal redneck and like not wanting to, you actually wanted to stay in and like stay a redneck so that you could speak to what was going on more, yeah. right? Like that's sort of been my, like, because uh, yeah. I, I, I get that. you know, and it's, it's wild because I've wanted so many times to stop believing and right. to not believe it anymore because of all the shit that's going on and because of all my family members in air quotations, all these people that share the same faith as I do, doing really horrible things yeah. to right. each other and to people, right? Yeah. And when I first watched your video, um, I was cheering you on, even though it was my people, right? I don't, it's hard to own them, right? Because I don't think we actually do share the same faith. You know, they're obviously right. not, we're not on the same page. Right. What happened in that moment? What happened after that? So that was, like you said, that was the moment that really, I mean, millions and millions of views, uh, you got into talk shows yeah. and all sorts of things. So how, what, what sort of progressed after that? Did you sort of see like, this is a, this is a way for me to communicate my beliefs in my views on this, that, and the other, yeah. uh, in a way that it really engages with people. I had been doing stand up for like six years at that point, mostly in the South, but not entirely. I would come out here to LA sometimes. I'd go up to New York sometimes or D Detroit or wherever every now and then and do it. But mostly I did it around the South. And this, this type of stuff is always the type of stuff that I was talking about on stage, you know? Cause like, again, right. like, right, like you were saying earlier. It's a persona in that it's just me, like, cranked up to 11, basically. But it all comes from a very genuine place. And this is the type of, like, material. Yeah, it's not satire. It's just cranked up. It's it's the type yeah. of material that I've been writing, like, since I started. So, like, I recognized when it first went viral that maybe, maybe now I would have, like, a platform to keep doing the type of stuff that I had already been doing or already wanted to do anyway. And the first, like, big thing was a tour, like, we... I told you I had a manager already. We set up a like a trial run of a of tour dates, like a week long thing mm -hmm. in like Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Asheville. Uh, I can't remember, but five, like six dates in seven days around southern cities. Uh, Huntsville was the other one, and and I, I was really sweating it. I was like, you know, there's a big difference between click and share on a Facebook video right. versus spending money, leaving the house, going to a show. I was like, I don't know. Ain't nobody going to buy tickets to see me just because of this. But that all sold out, all of it. And it's I, amazing. And, like, when that happened, I was like, okay, this might be real. So that was, like, the first major thing. The second major thing was I got, we got a book deal from it, uh, which I did not at all see coming and was mm -hmm. very blown away by. But we got a book deal from it, and that that's when I quit the – the day job I would have anyway because of just the tour, but between the tour and the book deal, which both happened pretty quickly, like within the first two months, six weeks, probably of the videos going viral. Um, those two things had happened and I quit the job and then it was just off to the races. And then very shortly after that, I got my first TV deal with Warner brothers and then moved out here. And then I've just been trying to keep the ball rolling since then. Yeah, what's cool is that if people go check out your YouTube page or Facebook, which they should, is that you've sort of kept, even though your sort of persona has grown, it's not like you've hired like a video crew to follow you around for these rants, right? Uh -uh. It's still you in your backyard or against the wall yeah. talking about 
climate change, about the wall, or about right. um, you know rich people making more money while everybody else gets less. And I think that's really cool that you've kind of kept that persona versus like hiring some dude to like well make a vlog for you. Well, right? it's like I said earlier, like I had that light bulb moment where I was like, these shouldn't be high tech. That would be a mistake. It should be the opposite. And even though they have like evolved and they got got popular and all that shit to me that's still like a part of it like that like lo-fi aesthetic or whatever is like part of that video series because it's been there the whole time but i mean look that also is like convenient and makes it easy for me because i yeah, can just set up a tripod yep. and just do it yeah you know but i genuinely do believe that though that like that just stripped down like bare bones aesthetic is is like part of it for me so yeah i'm not gonna change and it's working because there's you know, lots of videos with millions and millions of yeah. views. Um, you've said multiple times that you uh, are not down with Jesus. Yeah. Because, yeah, for, for reasons you've already talked right. about. You know, the church was not kind to your uncle. Um, yeah, I will say, and that was like the spark. Once I left and I got older, I started like, you know, asking a lot of questions and thinking of it like more critically or whatever, yep. I guess. And from an outsider's perspective, I'd already left and just none of it was checking out for me. Yep. Like that's the thing that pushed me away. But then I got older and as I really thought over a lot of it, none of it made sense to me. So yep. I, I was never like pulled back at all, honestly. Got it. So that was my next question was like, so do you, are you still feel that way? Yeah, and very much. But look, sometimes... Well, like I've I've been embraced at various times wholeheartedly by like atheist communities or whatever, which is fine. Like I appreciate them supporting me or whatever, but I'm not I'm not at all hardcore in that regard. I'll make totally blasphemous jokes if I think they're funny, but I'm not yeah. I'm not passionately anti God or anything. The way I mostly describe it to people is because I grew up pretty much a religious like you know except for when i was a little kid which i don't really remember sure. grew up pretty much a religiously i just don't really i don't really care that much like i don't want to abolish god or religion or whatever like a lot of atheists do what like i don't really care what people believe as long as they don't you know try to impact my life with it or force it on me or whatever i don't believe in it but i'm not like i, I ain't gonna go to the mat with a christian over it or anything like that because i'm just not that invested in it personally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So obviously it's right in your, your persona name, the liberal redneck. So you're liberal and you've stated that many, many times in sort of today's environment. What do liberals get wrong that you would like to see? Like it's a shit show right now, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, there's no, there doesn't seem to be too many people trying to have conversations and with right. with the other side, right? The, the, and, no, go ahead. And, go ahead. And, well, and, and I'm a big fan of us all, like being able to criticize our own, you know, our own team, as it were. It's not really a team, but yeah. Do you see your team mm -hmm. fucking up at all yes. in this current in this current day and age where neither side is winning? Like nobody can say like we're winning this, right? Like it just depends uh -huh. on the day where you're like, you know, Trump does this thing and then they do this thing. And then, right. then the left bashes the right because so-and-so, you know, did something to a kid way back then. And then two days later, somebody on the left gets a cute, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just this back and forth. that's just so tiring. The two main things that come to mind immediately. The first thing is like, and you're right, we should criticize our own team. That's like a vital 
part of yeah. it, but you can do that and still circle the wagons. I don't feel like liberals stick together nearly, not even in the same ballpark as well as the right does. Mm. Like they are together on their shit no matter what. And like, and to a fault, like yeah. they don't hold each other accountable for anything. Like as long as you're on their team, then everything is fine. No matter what you do, as long as you're not a lefty, then you're okay in their book. And like, that's ridiculous. But the thing is, if we want to compete with them, we have to quit like cannibalizing each other as much as I think that we do. Like liberals hold each other to way higher standards, which like philosophically is a good thing. But at the end of the day, when it comes to like winning elections, we got to stick together more, man. It was like, just as one like silly example. And I've talked about this in some of my videos and stuff before, but it's true. Early on in the whole process for me, it was 2016, nearing the election. I The book was up for pre-order and stuff. In one of my videos, I made this like just silly-ass joke about Bernie Sanders, who I voted for mm -hmm. in the primary, and mm -hmm. I, I like him. Mm -hmm. And I got raked over the coals mm -hmm. for that. I got so many comments from people that were like, just cancel my book order, unsubscribe, all this shit, because I said, because I made a joke yeah. about Bernie who I was a supporter of, but that's the type, like that shit don't ever happen on the other side. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And so that is one problem. The other problem, and this one's more like personal to me, but I think that the left has written off a lot of this country, like entirely as far as being able to reach people. Like I, I think there's a huge opportunity for the left, especially with the coming storm of like, automation and all this type of thing to regain their status as the party of the working man because yeah. that was the democrats yeah, they've forever yeah. and they've lost it completely and i think there's a huge opportunity there because a big part of rural america and everything is the my my hometown it got destroyed by the factory leaving in the 90s wow before that it was a blue county rural redneck county that was blue every election because it was a like a labor place, you know what I mean? It was like a, a working man's town and it yep. was blue all the time. And hmm. then, and now it's hardcore red and there's a lot of towns like mine out there, but like, and also I think that, um, Doug Jones in mm -hmm. Alabama, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that race illustrated, and a lot of people say, well, look how insane fucking Roy Moore was. But like, I mean, yeah, that's how they are now. Mm -hmm. Most of them are that insane. Mm -hmm. So I still think that like that Doug Jones shit illustrated that like you can win in the deep south or in deep red places if you can show people that you give a shit. And a lot of times I don't think the left <laughs> even attempts to pretend that they give a shit about certain uh parts of the country or demographics or whatever because they think it's a lost cause it's not worth allocating the resources to but i'm saying i don't believe that yeah you'd be hard pressed to convince any of your people out here i know that you can go there and talk to them and reason with them let alone what you said earlier that you've got buddies and all but one or two of them I, are as liberal liberal as you are i know right i, I had so and many, that's a huge problem i had so many people say things to me along the lines of, or literally word for word, you're like seeing a unicorn. Or, I didn't know that what you are existed. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm not... Like, I sell the most tickets to my shows in the South. And it's other Southerners. It's other liberal right. Southerners who are coming to my shows 
and my biggest shows are all in the South, like, because there's a lot of, like, I talk about this a lot too, but it's true. Any general election, the electoral map, the entire South is going to be red, but the actual ratio is going to be, you know, somewhere between 60, 40, 55, 45 or whatever, red to blue. Mm -hmm. Well, those minority percentages that, you know, voted blue across the entire American South. I mean, that's millions of people who vote blue in every election, every time. And, Mm. I mean, there's a lot of us out there. We are outnumbered, and and they are way louder than we are. But, like, I mean, yeah, we do exist. I'm not at all unique in that way. So what's the way forward as a country, man? Because, like, so just from for context for this show, it's pretty evenly split, 50-50 conservative liberal kind of listenership. Um, Good. And, which is really cool. And That's I try, super to, cool. I try to bring on people that are, like far left and far right. We've had pro-life and pro-choice people on. We've had, you know, just all over the place because I truly believe that, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a unifying, right? Like I have my, I have my beliefs and they, they are progressive for sure, but I want to always be somebody that unites. But so we've got this like, yeah, crazy volatile environment that we're in. So as American people, how do we move forward in order to have the right conversations about the right things so that we can, because I don't think people think it's possible to have a conversation with somebody and make progress on a certain issue while you don't have to go believe everything they believe right. and you know, kind of adhere to everything that they're about and still say, how can we make this happen together? Yeah, right? I believe that. I think, I guess I have a more like philosophical answer and then a more practical one, uh, but they're both- Give us both. They're both very difficult. Philosophically- I think one of the main things that happens that causes this whole issue with the divisiveness right now and everything, and it's a hundred and it's true for both sides, no more on either, you know, one more so than the other, both sides do this completely. When they encounter someone on the other side, they immediately put that person in their head on the extreme end of that, that spectrum. Yep. They, they they put them on the pole of the opposing viewpoint, and that immediately puts them in a more defensive position and in a position of like, you know, fuck this person, basically. Yeah. yeah. When in reality, most of us are not like that. Most of us, it's like, you know, it's a spectrum yeah. politically, and most of us exist somewhere, you know, in the middle of it, or at least not on the extremes, but we automatically, both sides, put whoever we're talking to on the other side in the extreme region of whatever their viewpoint is. And that's just a bad place to start a conversation from. I just, you know, other than saying, I wish people would stop doing that. I don't know how to actually right. fix that. But I think that is like one of the major root problems. The more practical thing, I think a lot of this shit comes down to, because again, I've been, we talked about my hometown a little bit. I briefly mentioned the factory leaving and how that changed everything and whatever. And that's a narrative around this country and everything. Like, and, and it's also very true in my minority communities. Uh, also like what's really fucking us up in my opinion, politically is income inequality. Mm -hmm. Like that's, what's at the root of most of this. If we were taking better care of poor people of all races and belief systems and demographics and geographical locations and all of that 
if we were just taking better care of poor people in this country in general, I don't think so many people would be so goddamn mad. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's all up to not just giving all the money to rich people, more tax breaks for the rich. Like, trickle-down doesn't work, and we it's it's been illustrated to not work for a very long time now. Yeah, but we keep going back to it. But we keep it. doing it. It doesn't work, and, like, that has to change, and the only way that's going to change is with some – Democrats in office in positions of power to actually change it. So that's a big reason why I'm on the side that I'm on. But putting that aside, just the root problem of income inequality should be like near the top of our priority list. And generally speaking, it's not. I mean, it gets talked about a lot, but like I think if we could actually address that, a lot of this other shit would take care of itself. In my opinion, yeah, I mean, money drives everything, right? right. It, it 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 can control how I feel on you know in a certain day's time, if it, you know, and so yeah, so many Democrats I think focus on. I'm not saying they're bad issues, but they're so focused on you know things like you know LGBTQ or these things. Right. Like if you're LGBTQ and poor, right, that is going to influence how you yeah vote or the way you look at something. If you're Mexican and poor, if you're black and poor, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's going to Money changes everything, like uh-huh. how in in and how we're how we feel like we're being perceived by our town, city, community, state, country, right? Is going to change, which is why I think 2016 was such an upset. Is he spoke directly to people? Yeah, and and although most of those, most if not all of them, were empty promises. Of he's, course, he told them exactly what they wanted. What they to wanted hear. to hear. That's exactly um, right. I just saw that you interviewed Andrew Yang. Yeah, I'm a big fan of. I'm actually interviewing him in New York next month. Right on. Uh, for great, this for this podcast. Great, yeah, great so guy. we got along very well. Yeah, so I mean, is is some of your were you already thinking about income inequality before that? How do you think about the UBI and like is that an answer? Is that well, could, I, could that help or, I or what grew do you think? Up dirt fucking poor. So I mean, I've thought about income inequality and stuff one way or another for pretty much my entire life. But um, as far as like surface level. Uh, thinking of it as an issue it's two two things i I interviewed andrew as part of this documentary that i'm contributing to right now that is a it's a documentary about universal basic income okay so that's why i was with andrew in the first place And, and basically with that with ubi in particular when i first heard about it as a concept which was i don't know not that long ago five sure. five years maybe something like that Same with me yeah and when i first heard about it as a concept immediately i was like Okay, well, that's we're gonna have to do that because I I was like in my mind initially it was a we're gonna reach a point where we don't have any choice because of like automation and jobs going away and not, and not ever coming back and that type of thing like just the general progression that I saw happening with all that I in my mind it, it's an inevitability that at a certain point we're gonna have a shitload of people who there there is no work for mm-hmm. and there won't be. And what are, what are we going to do? Like, we're, we have to come up with something. So I was immediately on board because I saw it as, like, almost not even an option, like, on a long enough timeline. Having said that, after I've learned more about it and researched it more, I've only become more in favor of UBI as mm-hmm. a concept. Like, I genuinely think there's a lot of things about it that really do make sense, but I've, but I've been on board since the beginning. And the other the other thing, as far as income inequality is there's this guy you know who nick hanauer is he's uh he's got a good first name silicon, but no i don't silicon valley billionaire uh based in seattle but his whole thing is 
nowadays. His whole thing is fighting income inequality. And the rationale he uses, he try he goes and speaks to other like bil- his billionaire buddies and stuff. The rationale he tries to use with them is <laughs> they're gonna fucking kill us. Like his his like slogan is the pitchforks are coming. You know, he tries to tell other rich people, he's like, look, we push this shit too far and eventually they're going to come for us, yeah. you know, which yeah. like I agree with. Yeah. And, and that's Nick's whole thing. And I met him through, he, uh, financed a series of videos I did with attention media about income inequality and stuff. But I met him that way. And just through talking to him about it and Andrew and UBI and all that, it's just, uh, really risen to the forefront for yeah. me as far as like, like I, I already said earlier, I think it's like the one thing we could do that would, change a lot of shit for the better i'm a fan of people making money and being successful right i think you can make millions and even tens of millions and maybe hundreds of millions without fucking someone over but i fundamentally believe that if you are worth a billion dollars like people have gotten really hurt in the process which is never okay right right so what is this with this nick guy i don't need to hear his whole like thesis or the premise of his position but like what's he doing about it so he's talking to his buddies and saying they're going to come after us but like what's his he's trying to convince his billionaire friends to you know not uh be in league with the Koch brothers yeah. and not be pro trickle down economics and because i mean you know fucking billionaires i mean they are they're really the ones who make the damn laws in this country yep. he's trying to convince them to make different ones yeah to tax the rich more you know but he's like he's like one of the only ones I'll have to look into him I who, think, who yeah. feels that way you know so like I mean he's fighting an uphill battle but I mean but he's trying but there's so many common sense points to be made about it like the big ones to me is like I just don't see how anyone could argue with this you give more money to a, a rich person and it goes in some offshore bank account or it goes into oil futures or some other nebulous high finance wizardry that doesn't even make sense to most of Mm -hmm. us. If you give, put more money in a poor person's pocket, it goes to fucking eggs and, you know, getting tires, tires, medical call. Yeah. Like it goes straight back into the economy because it has to, Yeah, because they need it. Yeah. And then that's what we want, right? We want more money going back into the economy. We'll give it to poor people because they spend it because they don't have a choice. Nothing about the opposing argument, you know, right. in favor of trickle down, like makes yep. any goddamn sense to no, me. No, it's trickle up, man. But I, like, I love I, how Andrew talks about that. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. We will see. You obviously have a pulse on things that are going on, and you use it in your comedy and in your career. So, what do you foresee happening in 2020? I mean, we already have what 1,457 <laughs> uh, Democratic candidates that have announced that they're running. They're all chomping um, at the bit, man. Yeah, yeah, right. And we're not even—I don't think we're probably seeing the last of them. And there's just so many already. So, what do you I, like? Do you think we're going to fuck up again, and Trump's going to get back in? Or, um, I mean. Maybe. I will never again underestimate the Democratic Party's ability to fuck up, to fumble the ball. Yeah. You know, because, uh, I mean, we've proven time and time again that we're very capable of that. But, like you said, we got this deluge of candidates right now. I like that. I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think competition's always a good thing. That will encourage some, you know, real debate and, you know, and like, analysis by people and people forming their opinions, everything. And hopefully, you know, the cream will rise to the top. And out of that, we will find the right person. I think that can happen. And I hope that happens. And if we do find the right person, then I mean, surely, surely 
<laughs> because, okay, here's the thing. Even though I'm from the rural South mm-hmm. and I was still in the South during that election and everything, yeah. and I saw all the Trump signs, and I, I also, I was beating the drum telling people like, you know, look, there's a real thing going on here because of towns like mine, you know, like you said, he, he's telling them what they want to hear, like he's selling this shit to yep. these people. I was saying all that. I still, at the end of the day, was like, but he ain't going to fucking win, though. <laughs> you know, uh, like, this is scary. We need to pay attention to this, but he ain't going to win. That's pretty much where I was at. I mean, I was shocked and blindsided and devastated. Did by, you find out by, that night or yeah. did you wait till the morning? Did I was supposed up? to I was supposed to go on uh, ABC News's coverage that, for just like a brief thing because I had just done Nightline and one of their like producers on there was – they had been talking to me like, "Hey, we're gonna Skype you in like after after Hillary after, wins. after yeah, yeah exactly yeah we'll, we're gonna Skype a bunch of people yep. just all just a circle jerking victory yep. party or whatever and it kept getting pushed further and further back and the tenor of the emails kept you know what I mean it's like yeah well you know and it got to be like one in the morning and whatnot and and then it finally got called and they were just like yeah we're all just saying fuck it you know or what basically but yeah. so I but I was up and watching and yet yeah, then live the whole time and. um so, because of that, I, I hesitate to just be like, oh, yeah, we got this shit, you know. But I do think a huge part of what happened, that whole narrative of Trump reaching working class people and all that, that there's truth to that and everything. But at the end of the day, to me, what really happened was Democrats didn't get out the vote the way that they had yeah. done before. Be- yeah. Because there was a lot of reasons. Hillary wasn't But they inspiring. thought it was in the bag. That's they the thought ma- they had in the bag. That is the main reason, in my opinion a shitload of liberals, and I knew a lot of them personally, thought there was no way he would ever win so they could keep a clean conscience and sit at home and not vote for Hillary, who they didn't really like, and it would be fine because it wouldn't matter. And then they got punched in the fucking mouth in November of that year. And now that that has happened, I really, really don't believe that most of them will make that same mistake again. Meaning yeah. that, like, even if they're even like Bernie's back in it, all his people will be back in full force. If he doesn't get the nomination, which, like, gun to my head right now, I don't think he will. And if he doesn't this time, I think they'll go and vote for whoever it is that does get it because of what happened last time. And to me, so. as long as that is true, then yes, we are going to win, in my opinion. But, like, like I said, never underestimate our ability to. Fuck yeah, I hope we up. can just approach it with a lot more um, just humility and like yeah. the, the gravity of this because there was such a lightheartedness of around course. it. Like laughing I, at him, just like yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, in in I'll be honest, like I took part in some of that because I, I just mean, I did too. I just did not believe. I mean, I've I've spent. Um, I grew up overseas, um, so I didn't wasn't here during my childhood for most of it. Came back, spent five years traveling the world, and came back finally came back around twenty five got married and was here as a now like I live here. Even now, 10 years later, or at then seven years after coming back here full time, I just could not believe that that was actually a thing that could happen. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, dude, I, look, I, to be clear though, like, and I tell people this a lot, like I grew up in a tiny little deep South town sure, yeah. and I didn't believe that yeah. was a thing that could happen. Yeah. Like I, these people, like in my hometown now, with Trump signs everywhere and all like, they were not like that. Like most, plenty of racists around. They didn't like gays because of the church or whatever. But politically speaking, they were mostly apolitical. 
like growing up there as a kid, what I remember, like as far as politics go- goes with like, you know, these rural Americans that I grew up around, it was mostly like, I fuck them. They're all full of shit. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. as far as politicians go, right. pretty much. They weren't passionate about any of the political sphere, generally speaking. And then, and now fucking everybody's rabid, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, so it's wild to me too. And I grew up in the thick of it. In fact, it's maybe more wild to me, especially because it's Donald Trump. This is one of the, I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the main reasons I couldn't believe it is because, and I said this on Bill Maher's show. And when I said it at first, he was like, really? But yes, 100% really. I guarantee you, if you went back in time and polled your stereotypical rednecks, if you went back in time to before Trump like started the birther shit, when he was yep. just a, just famous for being a rich douchebag, he wasn't in politics yet. Right. If you went back to then and polled stereotypical rednecks, what do you think about Donald Trump, generally speaking? It would have been almost universally negative. Yeah, It was said he's a silver spoon, blue blood Yankee that thinks he's smarter than everybody, thinks he's better than everybody, and needs his goddamn ass whipped. That's what they would have said. Mm-hmm. And it just, he's the antithesis of like everything that they everything, are. Everything, exactly. Yeah. And and so when I first saw him like getting popular with them, I was like, fucking, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, are y'all shitting me right now? Like this guy? And my only explanation for that is that that's just how desperate they were for somebody to tell them right. what we- they wanted to hear. That They were so desperate for that that even that dude was good enough, like satisfied it for them it's like taken as a given now but that shit was insane if you know those people that is fucking crazy yeah that they lined up to bat for that dude the way they did yeah even with any support that he got earlier in the race i think the democrats should have paid more attention to that Uh and said oh he's he's communicating like the fact that anyone was following him in my opinion the fact that anyone was i mean like it came out that the way that he talked about women, he admitted he went into dressing rooms of the girls at pageants, underage girls, and saw them naked. And like he said this out loud. Yeah. And Christians and people were still support. So oh, we, 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 I have a quick go ahead. I want to ask you a question. Yeah, sure, minute, sure, sure. But go ahead. Um, they should have paid more attention to any support that he was getting and even sent people to those places and said, like, what's going Like, honestly, why? Like, what is he saying that we're not? We want to learn from you. And that never, never happened. Right. Because they, because took- they wrote those yeah. places off completely. Yeah. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a real thing that really happened. Yeah. And it was a huge mistake on their part. Yeah. Uh, but what I wanted to ask yeah, you question, go. as a Christian, yeah. one of the other most insanely mind-blowing parts of the whole process to me mm-hmm. was how the Christian right embraced him because we're, that was like one thing that I would say for Donald Trump I would be like I'm like this guy's one of the most foolish shit people on planet earth and even he doesn't act like he's a good Christian you know what I mean like he didn't even that wasn't even a drum he was beating nope. during the campaign like even that duplicitous motherfucker wouldn't really even attempt to present himself as godly and yet there's so many clips of these big like televangelist types or whatever talking about how we've got a holy man back in office. You know what I mean? Like Barack Obama went to that church in Charleston after that shooting happened and led the choir in amazing grace. And he's a fucking secret Muslim Kenyan yeah. communist. Yep. Yep. Donald Trump. Faithful to one wife, raising two right, kids, no scandals. Exactly. Yep. Donald Trump is the opposite of that in every way. And now 
Obama leaves, Trump comes in. Thank God we've got a holy man back in office again. Please explain that to me. <laughs> like, what? How do they say that shit with a straight face? And how does their congregation, like, yeah, totally. Like, it's crazy. Mostly, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. No, like, uh, genuinely, yeah. I don't know. Um, people, I, I won't rat anyone out here, but people that are very close to me that have taught me the opposite of everything that he is about for my entire life. Yeah. Voted for him. Right. So the two things that I can pick up on from talking to so many people about this that did vote for him in 2016 that are that say that they are Christian, two issues. One is, I would say, split half and half. Uh, some of them weren't super fans of Donald Trump, but they hated Hillary so much. Right. They hated the Clinton so much. Yeah. Someone very close to me, uh, I was talking to them not one or two weeks before the election, and they were still planning on voting for Trump. So we had a conversation. And this person genuinely believes that the Clintons have had, you know, 60-something people killed. Right. Right? So, you know, and, and a bunch of other things, you know, just like all these things about the Clintons. I mean, somehow the Clinton-Lewinsky thing was more horrifying to them than all of this stuff yeah. that Trump had done, right? And then the other, so the other thing I think, which is the greater thing, is the uh, his stance on pro life. That right. is a that is a deal breaker right. for so many people. It doesn't matter. I mean, he could he could come out and say the worst, and he has the most horrible things about. Um, but he like puts little kids in cages, though. Yeah, I know. Like that's not. I know. That and, shit ain't you know, pro life. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's 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 truly. They should stop using that. Because uh, pro-life would be from you know conception to grave, right? right you care about exactly. people all throughout. They only they're, care about them until they anti, come out. Yeah, they're anti-abortion. I had this conversation with somebody the other day. I said, I said, man, if if that was true, if you look at if you look at the amount of forget the amount of Christians, the amount of churches, people, you know, a group of people that call themselves Christians and they gather together, right? If you take every church in America, they could, in one fell swoop, eradicate the foster and adoption cues right right there's hundreds of thousands of kids in the foster care system being tossed around from home to home to home right and then there's tons of kids that need to be adopted they could wipe it out in one fell swoop right but they don't they're full these systems are chock full and so for so many it's very easy to say what you just said because I, I think it is true for so many of them you don't care what happens to them after they come out you just want them to get here mm -hmm. because you think this is the worst and most tragic sin and we can have a conversation about i grew up there's not enough time to talk about where I stand on the issue, but it is not anywhere near there. And I have these conversations with people that are part of my part of my community, part of my background, that that is the make or break issue. He could be Satan himself, but if he says, I'm anti this and I'm going to fight against the left and the liberals on this issue, um, they have, like, take my money, take anything. You've right. got it all. And so I think it was, two, for the people that I know, it was two things. It was anti um, Clintons and it was anti-abortion pro-life. Yeah. So that's, that's all I can say, Yeah, but it's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's wild that people that say, you know, if you look at Jesus, you know, it's a lot of like really crazy things in the Bible, but it's really hard to argue with who Jesus was. Right. Cause right. he's just, a. I mean, again, you can like look at the old Testament and some weird stuff, like there's some crazy shit in there that I have to really wrestle through as a Christian. But like with Jesus, like if you, if you say I follow Jesus, like he's my role model, He's completely opposed to all of this. All of it. All of it. I mean, he said, welcome the stranger. Uh -huh. He talked about the foreigner all the time. He talked about welcoming the stranger. He talked about the kids. He talked about all these women. He he 
some of his closest people that he kept around him were women, and yet most Christians don't have the high view of women as they should. Yeah, there's so many things that are opposed to the trickle down thing too. The trickle down. They, they should yeah. be. They should all be completely against that. Yeah. But if you you know if you're looking, they at should G- have a if very, Jesus. If Jesus could tell them, they should have a very critical view. Of, right. Yeah, of, of course, rich people. Because it. I mean, again, a religious growing up. Yeah. Was it actually Jesus who said, or one of his uh, disciples, or whatever? But the the thing about it's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. Yeah. Than through than for a rich man to get into. Yeah, gates he, of heaven. He said those words, right? That's what yeah. I'm saying. So, like, and the rich young ruler, which is a big story as well. You know, he came and he said, "Leave everything and come follow me." And the rich young ruler said, "Nah," and yeah. walked away. I know it blows my mind because, like, I really try to be like as a you know, pinko lefty, whatever. I try to be like consistent. You know what I mean? Like, and so yeah. I like. Just the hypocrisy that I, from where I'm sitting, that I see like on the other side of the fence, not just with the religious part, just not just Christians, but just with so much of it. That's like one of the main things for me. I can't wrap my head around the like cognitive dissonance or whatever, how they don't realize the like double standards that they have for almost everything, (laughs) like seemingly, you know? Yeah, it gets pretty wild. I'm just hoping that in the next, um, in this next year and a half before the 2020 election that we can from both sides. And that's what, I mean, I'm, I am tirelessly working to try to bring people together. Like let's, okay. So you have an issue with this from, for this side and we have an issue with you on that side. Let's have a meal. Yeah. Let's let's, I mean, I, I did this a few months ago in my home in Nashville. We had, I mean, around the table, we had several staunch uh, Trump supporters. We had uh, a libertarian, a couple liberals. We actually had a. We had one of my friends who's an Iraqi Muslim refugee. Who he and his family were coming to the U.S. on the day the Muslim ban went into effect, and they got sent back. Finally made Damn. it here, but they were in the airport in Cairo and said, "You can't get on this plane. Oh. He just he just banned you." So he's. We're all at the table, and we had the best conversation. Yeah, three hours of food and drink. I was late to my next meeting that night because it just like went on and on. That's normally what happens. Like when I go back. Home, and like I said, I do every year at least once, sometimes twice a year, I go back home to like hometown home. And yeah, right. I'll invariably end up in a conversation. I told you most of my friends are on the same page as me, but not all of them. I'll invariably get into some political conversation, whatever, with people that are opposed to me in my hometown. And almost every time, it goes very well. Yeah. Like it might start out with, you know, they've seen one of my videos or something like, well, yeah. I can't believe you said that shit about, you know, whatever. <laughs> right, and then right, I'm like, right. well, hear me out, man. You know, and then yeah. like, and then five minutes later, we're talking about it in a totally, you know, yep. amicable way. And it's like a good conversation. And we, that's how I had that real, the realization I said earlier about how we automatically put the other person oh, yeah. at the far end of the spectrum. You start actually talking to him, you realize like, okay, you're not that far out there. And you now know that I'm not that far out there either. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and I think that's true just for the the political situation in this country in general. It's like, it seems like we're more divided now than we ever have been. But on a person-to-person level, that is mostly not true. Like, most of us are just trying to do our thing. You know yeah, and I, mean? I think like, social media is really fucking us absolutely. up, too. Like, 90% of political conversations on social media escalate to the nth degree. Right. 90% of conversations about the same exact topic in person <laughs> go super well not uh-huh. that you come not that you're like oh you convinced me 
but we can talk about it. Right. We can clink a a beer mug, uh-huh. you know, on it, and we can spoon full food into our mouths while we're talking about it. And it just goes way better. Yeah. It just goes way better. Okay. I have one big last question, but okay. before I get there, for anybody that's meeting you for the first time on this podcast, what do you want them to go look up, um, see, follow? I know you're on tour right now. Yeah. So all my like videos and social media presence or Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, it's all like just my name. So Trey it's Crowder. T R A E Crowder. And you'll find all of that that way. If you want to come to a show, which would be great, uh, it's I tour with two other liberal Southern comedians, um, and the tour is called the Well Read R E D Well Read Comedy Tour. So it's wellreadcomedy.com for tickets and merch and all that type of stuff. You also but, have a podcast called the Well Read Podcast. The well Read Podcast, also yes, wonderful. Okay, so you're not. Uh, last question. You don't you know, describe yourself as a humanitarian or a philanthropist or whatever. You're a comedian, uh-huh. but you obviously give a damn, which is why I've been trying to get you on for a while. Cause, cause you, yeah, you, you could be making jokes about so many things, but if people go on your page, like it's very clear that you give a shit about the future of our country and planet and us as people. Right. So years from now, you're going to die. We're all going to die in, in this hypothetical scenario. I've been asked to give your eulogy. So you're gone and all of your loved ones are packed into this humongo room to honor and mourn your life. What do you hope that I would say about your life and legacy on that day? God damn. Uh, <laughs> that I tried to be empathetic always and, you know, treat and deal with my fellow man the way that I would like to be dealt with. Um and that, you know, and I ho- I don't know how well this will have gone by that time, um, if it is years down the road, hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. But that I um, helped to change the perspective on where I'm from, mm. you know, the, the South in yeah. general, which is a, uh, I mean, that is important to me. And, and that's sort of been kind of, I guess, my mission since I, before I started comedy even was just to let other people know that the the south is not a monolith and that we're not all the worst (laughs) basically you know what i mean and that there's good people there and good things about it and um and you know i feel like i've done some of that and that that is sort of like the core thing that's behind most of what i do honestly all my political beliefs are what they are and they are authentic I don't like that this is my stance, but it's my genuine opinion. I don't really think comedy moves the needle very much with politics. I know that's like a thing that gets brought up a lot. I'm not a believer in that. But I do think it allows people to think about things that might be difficult subjects and they can laugh about them or whatever. But I don't think comedy like changes minds when it comes to like gay rights or any like major political issues. But I do think that I can change people's opinions of like – you know, what somebody with my accent is or is not or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, just by doing that same thing. Yeah, I think, I'm thinking back on your HP2 video, the very first one that I saw, kind of going full circle here, like, in two minutes, yeah, I don't think you changed many minds necessarily, but in two minutes, you uh, sort of cleverly and, you know, with, you know, a cuss word here and there, and, like, you you presented a pretty well-rounded argument bashing it and how ridiculous it was in two minutes right somebody might have taken 45 minutes to give a lecture on that but you you know what i'm saying like so in two minutes the kind of you know i chuckled and then i was like oh shit like that's so true in two minutes so many things happened that you wouldn't be able to do sitting in a lecture hall listening to you know 
so-and-so pontificate about the HB2 in North Carolina and how this, how is this going to actually happen? And, and like, you, you know, one thing that you brought up in there was like, trans people have been around for forever, right. like forever. Right. They've been in your bathrooms. Right. You have peed and pooped right next to them before. Like that's happened. And there's nothing's happening as a result of it. Now you're just aware of it. And now you're, you know, you're. Yeah. It was a completely. Yeah. It was a problem or an issue that was like fabricated wholesale yeah. out of yeah. thin air. Yeah. And they do that shit sometimes. But also, hopefully in this scenario, you will, this will be the theme of it that you thread throughout talking about all my amazing award-winning accomplishments in TV and film and all that. And (laughs) that I was, you know, number one, hopefully uh, was a good father and husband and all of that. That's wonderful. But honestly, I'm not worried about that part. I know I'll, well, the husband, I hope so. I hope I can keep that going. But as far as being a dad, I'm not, not worried about that. I'm, very, I'm more confident in my abilities in that regard than that's awesome. In anything else, so. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for joining us on the show today. This was super fun. Thank you, Nick. I'm glad you had me, man. It was a good time. Dear friends, thank you so much for listening in. I hope you are encouraged and challenged today after listening to our chat and by something that Trey said during our chat. And I hope you chuckled a few times also. Please follow Trey on social media at Trey Crowder. That's T-R-A-E Crowder on all social media platforms. Also check out his website, TreyCrowder.com and see if his comedy tour is coming to a city near you by visiting WellReadComedy.com. That's Well, W-E-L-L-R-E-D Comedy.com. I'll have all these links in the show notes, of course. Speaking of show notes, You can find more information on this podcast conversation and all of Let's Give a Damn by going to letsgiveadamn.com. If you love what we're doing on this show, please tell a friend. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or consider throwing a coffee cup's worth of dollars our way each month to support the production and execution of this show by visiting patreon.com slash letsgiveadamn. This podcast episode, as always, was produced by yours truly and Chad Snavely, an amazing fella from Nashville, Tennessee. The music is by our wonderful friend, Propaganda. Make sure to check out all his music on Spotify or wherever you listen to your music. I simply cannot wait to spend more time with you next week. Thanks for showing up this week. Love you all. Bye.